We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures, visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, Daniel, do you ever wish you had a superpower? All the time. I wish I had lots of superpowers. Yeah. But you know, science has actually provided us with some real honest-to-God powers that our ancestors might have thought were superpowers. Jetpacks? <laughs> Not quite yet. But you know, we can do some pretty amazing stuff. Teleportation? We'll listen to the podcast episode about teleportation before you decide. But we can do some pretty amazing stuff. Stuff that would have limited to deities a thousand years ago. You know, things mm. like harnessing the power of the sun. What do you mean? Like we can create the sun here on Earth? Yeah, absolutely. We can create miniature suns here on Earth. Not recommended to do in your at-home kitchen, but it's something science is capable of. Hi, I'm Jorge. And I'm Daniel. Welcome to Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, our podcast about the universe. And everything in it, and everyone in it, and even about aliens, if they are in it. Yeah, even about suns. Suns, S-U-N, and suns, S-O-N. We explain <laughs> it all. Today on the program, we are actually talking about harnessing the power of the sun. Science has distilled the thing that happens inside the sun, the energy release, and made it available for us here on Earth. With explosive results. That's right. So if you are a dictator of your own little country looking to become a nuclear superpower, this is the podcast for you. Today we're going to talk about nuclear weapons and specifically the nuclear bomb. How does it work? How do you build one in your garage? Should you build one in your garage? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is definitely no on should you, but could you? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. 
This podcast is about the science, not the ethics. <laughs> I think we'll touch on both, actually, because science is never free of ethics. It's, it's always a complex mixture. So nuclear bombs is something that people obviously were very surprised to learn about in the mid-40s. Uh, and then there was a huge concern with the Cold War uh, up until the 80s and 90s. But then it sort of quieted down until a little bit recently, right? There's been a lot of talk about rogue nations and uh, the threat of nuclear bombs and, and nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles. Well, if you ask the um, Union of Concerned Scientists, I don't think they've quieted down at all. There's been a pretty consistent fear that we would destroy ourselves and kill everybody on They've Earth. They've always been on edge. Basically since we got the power to do so. Yeah. I mean, we had in the 80s, um, the USSR and the USA had enormous nuclear stockpiles, tens mm. of thousands of nuclear weapons pointed at each other with hair triggers. And uh, these days we have fewer, you know, if in, in the number of thousands instead of tens of thousands, but still there's plenty of power there to destroy each other very easily. Mm. Are you saying scientists have a hard time relaxing in general? <laughs> if you know, the more you know about the state of nuclear weapons, the harder it is to really relax, <laughs> yes. But, you know, your, your point is taken. The big powers have not yet blown each other up. Mm -hmm. And we are worried these days about smaller powers, nuclear powers that, and terrorists and North Korea and all these folks yeah. who, are, who are developing these capabilities. So it kind of made us wonder, like, how many people out there actually know how a nuclear bomb works and um, how do you make one? And... Would it be a bad idea to explain to everybody exactly how to build a nuclear bomb? Yeah, are we going to get arrested for this podcast? <laughs> or put on some kind of watch list? <laughs> Surveillance. That's right. And to say we are not telling everybody anything they wouldn't know in a physics class anyway. So yes, yes. If we are going to get arrested for treason, you got to lock up every professor out there. Yes, which I, I bet some people would like to do. That's right. That was not a policy <laughs> suggestion, by the way. <laughs> Mm. So uh, we went out there and asked people, do you know how a nuclear bomb works? Yeah, so think for a moment, how much do you know about a nuclear weapon? How does it actually work? If you had to, could you build one in your garage? Here's what people had to say. Not sure, honestly. I do not. No idea at all? No. Um, Wild guess. By smashing together particles. Cool. I know it's in Chinese, but I don't know how to say it in English. All right, say it in Chinese. Uh, so there is uh, two kinds of nuclear bomb, right? Yeah. Item bomb and uh, what was that called? Hydrogen bomb? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's one is. Fission. Uh, yeah. One is uh, fusion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> so that's interesting. I feel like not a lot of people know how a nuclear bomb works. Yeah, half the people had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and the other half had some idea that it was something about the power of the atom. Yeah. I like the guy who only knew the words in Chinese. <laughs> he was so excited to tell me what he knew. that I was like, yeah, tell me in Chinese, that's fine. He definitely knew something about the topic. Yeah. But yeah, people generally either didn't know anything or they knew that it had something to do with the atom. And they're right. Essentially, the way a nuclear bomb works is that it releases energy stored inside the atom or lots of atoms really, really rapidly. Hmm. That's what's called the atomic bomb. Yeah, the early versions are called atomic bombs. So there's sort of two categories of nuclear weapons. There's the early ones that use fission, where you split an atom apart. Those are called atomic bombs. And the later ones that are called uh, hydrogen bombs or H-bombs, those use fusion, where you squeeze nuclei together. And we'll get into the nitty-gritty of exactly all how that works and, and why it's interesting. Okay. So there are atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs. They're both nuclear weapons. Oh, I see. And they work using different methods. One of them is fizzy, the other one is 
fuzzy. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. One of them splits the atom open and the other one s- squeezes atoms together. Okay. And it's sort of surprising. You might be thinking, hold on, if splitting the atoms open releases energy, how come the opposite thing of fusing them together also releases energy? Yeah. Well, before we get into the technical details, you mentioned you had some personal connection to the Manhattan Project and the uh, nuclear industry here in the United States. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's not that I've ever built a nuclear bomb myself. Uh, mm. No, certainly not. Even if not Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> I'm not Dr. Manhattan, but I did grow up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, the home of the Manhattan Project, wow. where in the 40s, all these scientists got together to crack this mystery. And, uh, you know, the history of this is fascinating. It was in the late 30s that people figured out, oh, you can split the atom and release some huge amounts of energy. I mean, much more energy than is released when you blow up dynamite or burn coal or anything like that. And so immediately, even before the world was at war, people realized this is the technology for a new weapon. This could be a devastating new super weapon. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, most people know the story. The U.S. government gathered people together in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. They chose Los Alamos because it's a place basically no one would go on purpose. <laughs> and so no one would, would run into it. It wasn't because uh, if they made a mistake, not that many people would <laughs> would die in, a, in an accident. <laughs> Uh, you know what? That's probably an aspect to it also, being remote out in the middle of the desert. Um, but as a high schooler, you know, it wasn't much consolation to know that you were living in a place that, that uh, the government thought was going to be super boring and no one would want to go to. And they were pretty much right. There's not a whole lot to do in Los Alamos. And in fact, your parents worked for the Los Alamos National Laboratory, right? They worked on nuclear engineering and and physics. That's right. Both of my parents worked for Los Alamos Labs where the bombs were developed. Uh, What they work on, I can't tell you, not because I'm being secretive about it, but because I don't know. Both of them had Q clearances. They never told you? No, I never visited their offices. I never talked to them in any detail about their work. I never heard about it because it was all behind the the clearance fence, the security fence. It was all top secret. Wow. They saw you as a threat even then. <laughs> That's right. They had to go through elaborate procedures to make sure they were trustworthy. We're not going to be spies for some enemy wow. nation or something like that or blackmailable. So like at the dinner table, what would you guys talk about? Like, how was work? I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me. Yeah, we learned pretty quickly not to ask those questions, exactly. And there was no, you know, take your son to work day or this kind of stuff. Oh. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because when I was a kid, I learned about the history of Los Alamos. And in Los Alamos, they teach you pride. They teach you, this is the place the bomb was developed. This is the location of a great scientific discovery. And not just that, but that we should feel pride, national pride, at having developed something which won the war, right? People Mm. in this town, scientists at where your parents work, they won the war with their brains. And so this sort of like pride was really deeply um, woven into the curriculum and life in Los Alamos. It's almost like propaganda. Definitely. It's exactly like propaganda because it is propaganda. And it was only later that I heard about the controversy, like, should we have dropped those bombs and killed hundreds of thousands of civilians? Wow. You know, that turns out to be quite a complex moral question, you know. And if you're a scientist working on these weapons, should you be? Should you be developing these weapons and putting them in the hands of politicians who could use them to kill women and children? Did you ever talk to your dad about that? Like if he ever felt any uh, feelings like that or had any thoughts about that? You know, what's interesting is I didn't ask him about it until I was in my 20s. 
Mm. You know, like a decade after we lived in Los Alamos, and I asked him about it, and he said, "You're the first person to ask me that question." Wow! And that was sort of shocking, also. Like people in Los Alamos don't discuss it very much. His friends didn't ask him. Um, his family, his old family, didn't ask him. I was a physics student. I knew all about this, and, and never asked him until it finally occurred to me. Wow! And yeah, so I asked him, and he, um, you know, he's he's thought about it. He's balanced these things, and he thought. Um, that the nation needed defending and that there are other people out there de- developing nuclear weapons and uh, that we needed to have our arsenal ready and needed to be t- tip-top shape and we needed to have the same guns as the enemy had. And, you know, this was in the 80s and 90s and wow. so the Cold War was a very recent memory and it was not ridiculous to think that the that Russia could launch nuclear weapons against us. So I think he felt yeah. some sort of pride that he was helping the national cause. Wow. So, like, what was your high school mascot in in your school? The Adam, <laughs> Adamy, Tommy the Adam, the radiation, the, you know, the fallout, right? Yeah. Robbie the radioactive isotope. No, no, it was nothing so exciting. We uh, lived in the top of a hill. It's almost the top of a mountain. So, our high school mascot is the Hilltoppers. Yeah, wow. not not terribly exciting. Um, but my reaction to this this moral quandary was totally different. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so when I had to choose a field of physics to study, I chose something very, very far away from any practical applications, which is, you know, Higgs boson (laughs) and dark matter and particle physics. And Mm -hmm. so it was a selling point to me that none of my research could ever have any practical, immediate practical application and therefore probably not be used to kill any babies. And, you know, that helps me sleep at night, not killing babies for my work. Just avoid all responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you almost could say I'm a cartoonist, right? <laughs> have, uh, have any of your cartoons ever killed any babies? <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> Maybe you should look into that, Jorge. Jeez, you should have a more definitive answer to that question. <laughs> I feel like this is a great recruiting of audio for physicists, you know? Looking to avoid responsibility? Don't want anything to do with the real world? <laughs> Go into particle physics. Don't like killing babies? Go into <laughs> particle physics. We have killed zero babies to date. So you're, you're tied to sort of the history of nuclear energy in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my parents were supported by the Department of Energy. And now, actually, the Department of Energy supports my research. So I've mm. basically been supported by the Department of Energy directly or indirectly since I was 10. Wow. Um, so I'm pretty closely, closely tied into it. I can't say I'm completely morally insulated from it. I mean, I ate food which was paid for by the programs which funded nuclear weapons development, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So my hands are not clean. Yeah, so I feel this personal connection, and I used to feel this pride, and now I feel, you know, not shame, but it's definitely more complicated. Mm. Definitely not happy when I imagine all those people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, going about their day and then being suddenly destroyed by nuclear bombs. Mm. It's definitely complicated how these bombs work. Uh, But before we get into it, let's take a quick break. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your 
overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so uh, let's talk about how exactly a nuclear bomb works. So how, you said there's two kinds, actually. There is fusion mm-hmm. and there is fission bombs. So it's two different kinds of nuclear bombs. Uh, how do they work? That's right. And so if you are the director of a rogue nation's nuclear weapons program, this is where you're going to want to start taking notes. Okay. So like, how do you choose which one? It's fascinating because a fusion bomb actually requires a fission bomb to ignite it. Hmm. Yeah, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So you should start with, if you're developing a new technology, you start with fission because it's easier. Uh, Although fusion is much more powerful. So fission is breaking the nucleus of an atom and fusion is putting together the the nucleus of an atom. That's the difference, right? That's right. Fusion is fusing together a, a nucleus and fission is breaking it apart. Exactly. Fizzing it or fizzling it or physicisting it or whatever the verb is. Fizzing. For fission. Fizzing. Okay, thank you. And um, so, but a nuclear bomb works essentially the same way as another bomb in that its goal is release a lot of energy, oh. right? So you have to find some stored energy and release it. And you can do that in dynamite where there's stored chemical energy or something, you know, oil where there's stored, um, stored energy in the gasoline or whatever. But nuclear energy is much more powerful because it has a lot more energy stored in it. Because that's all a bomb is. It's just the, the release of a lot of energy at the same time in a small space, right? 
Exactly. Anything you use for power, you can also turn into a bomb. Just release that energy really, really quickly, right? Okay. You can slowly burn the gasoline in your car, or you can put it in a vodka bottle and set it on fire like a Molotov cocktail. It's the same process, it just happens more rapidly. And if you release all that energy really quickly, then it creates a shock wave, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's destructive, is creating all this energy release at once creates this shock wave of heat and air, and that's what blasts things apart. I see. So like the batteries in my phone have a lot of energy stored in, into it, but there's no reaction that will cause it to like be released all quickly at the same time. Exactly. Unless you have the Galaxy Note 7, which um, <laughs> if you have it, please please take it back in. Right, but as far as I'm aware, there's no nuclear bomb app that which will set your phone on fire or anything. So where does that energy come from? And so our interviewees were correct, and that energy comes from the atom itself. That is, if you take uranium, for example, and you split it in half, energy is released. Mm. And so that, and that's the basic idea. And you might wonder, well, why is energy released, right? Well, so uranium breaks into two other things, krypton and barium. And so those two things are released. And the, the reason energy is released is because there's more energy stored in uranium than in the sum of krypton and barium. And so when you break it into krypton and barium, there's extra energy left over. But it's, it's kind of weird to grasp because if I take a stick of wood and I split it in half, I don't get energy released. That's right. But imagine you had a stick of wood that was um, in two pieces and it was held together by a spring. Oh, right? okay. Then there's stored energy in that configuration. And when you break it, that's released. The spring will sprung out. Yeah, it'll sprung out and it'll push the two things apart, for example. So if there's stored energy in the configuration and you break it, then that energy is released. And so that's what happens when you break a uranium atom. There's energy stored in the arrangement, right? And then energy is released. Meaning, and it, that's what it does, it, it, that energy that's stored then pushes the two pieces apart really fast. Yeah, and it actually sends out neutrons. Um, you get you get two other smaller atoms and a bunch of neutrons which fly out. Okay, and the neutrons were actually part of the the original nucleus. Yeah, exactly, part of the uranium nucleus. Oh, so I you got to start with something which can break into two smaller pieces and release energy. That's oh. the goal if you want to do fission. Okay, and uranium is great for that. There are other things that can do it also: plutonium, um, um, americium, other ones. But uranium is the one which works best. Okay, and why why is it good for why is uranium good? What's special about uranium? Well, it just so happens that there's an isotope of uranium, uranium-235, which is really unstable. And so it's easier to get it to, I'm looking for that verb again, fizz, fizzile, fissionate. <laughs> split. Fissionate. Split. Thank you. <laughs> it's easier to get uranium-235 to split than uranium-238 or uranium-236 oh, or whatever. I see. Each it's of like these it's is a right on the cusp of, 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 of breaking apart itself. So it's easy to make it split up. Exactly. It's less stable. Exactly. Oh, all right. Yeah, and so that's fission. That's why you always hear uranium and uranium cakes and uranium enrichment. Exactly. Uranium enrichment, because the kind of uranium that you normally find in the ground at a uranium mine is not uranium-235. It's not the kind we want for nuclear weapons. That kind is pretty rare. It's, uh, you know, one in a, in a, I don't know the number, but one in a zillion atoms of uranium that you find in the ground is the kind you need for nuclear weapons, which is why one of the big obstacles to making a nuclear weapon is not knowing how to do it, because this physics is pretty widely known, mm-hmm. but getting the fuel. Yeah, these, uh, That's why, for example, Iran was working on centrifuges because they're trying to separate out the different isotopes of uranium to get the one that's good for the bomb. Mm, I believe the number is 0.72%, Daniel. <laughs> wow, it's like your Siri or Wikipedia <laughs> or something. 
Okay, so yeah, so uranium is about to split and has a lot of energy. That's why they use it for fission bombs. That's right. But there's another key element, which is you can't just release the energy of one atom. I mean, you can do that, but it's not very, it's not going to be a very good bomb, right? And uh, what you need is, as we said, is to release a lot of energy all at once. And for that, you need not just one atom to go, but a lot of atoms to go. And okay. so for that to happen, you need to create a chain reaction. So meaning you take a lot of this enriched uranium, so uranium that has a lot of this U-235, and you put it onto this one spot, and then you cause a chain reaction. That's the idea of a bomb, right? Yeah, exactly. And so the neutrons that fly out and carry some of this leftover energy then bump into other uranium-235 atoms, mm -hmm. which then fizzile, fizzate, fizzinate. Split, yes, split. split thank you, <laughs> split. And, um, and then it goes on and on and on, and you get more neutrons and more neutrons, and pretty soon you have a huge number of neutrons flying out, which, which causes a huge amount of, um, of atoms to split all at the same time, and that's your explosion right there. Ah. In order for that to happen, you, you need to have enough fuel, and it needs to be dense enough so the neutrons bump into the other atoms. I see. So that's called the critical mass, when you have enough fuel in a dense enough location. And that's really all you need to do to start the bomb off. Like a rumor or like a panic in a crowd. You need enough people jammed together to really cause a big panic. Yeah, exactly. For your analogy, you need something to trigger the other thing. It's like that scene in Stand By Me, you know, where they're vomiting. One guy vomits, <laughs> the smell causes two other people to vomit, which oh, causes four other people to vomit, and pretty soon everybody's oh, vomiting. Oh, yeah, yeah, that movie. Yeah, but if, um, if people were not close together, then you wouldn't, this reaction wouldn't catch fire, right? Like it wouldn't catch on. So you need, you need a lot of people together, a lot of these atoms together to cause this chain reaction. Exactly. And all you need to do to, to create a nuclear weapon, people might be wondering, how do you start it? Do you like have a pile of uranium and you like light a match or put a lighter on it or something? Mm -hmm. All you need to do is have enough fuel all put together. And one of the atoms inside it will be unstable enough to just fall apart on its own. And that will trigger the chain reaction, which leads to the explosion. Wow. And so the way the nuclear bomb actually works is you basically have two subcritical masses, like a chunk of uranium here and a chunk of uranium there. Mm -hmm. And you just slam them together. And, uh, and then it goes off. And that's it. So um, for those of you out there looking to build a nuclear weapon, all you need to do is get enough uranium-235 and arrange it in two pieces to slam together. In the right concentration. In the right concentration, the right purity, yeah. Okay. And the, some of the original designs that were like, well, let's make one of the pieces sort of like a cup and the other piece sort of like a ball and we'll just like drop the ball in the cup. Um, and, and that worked. Really? So just bringing these two things together will suddenly cause the reaction to start. Yeah, exactly. That's all you need to do. So separately, what happens? Why don't they start separately? Well, they do start separately. They just don't take off. Um, so you have atoms in there decaying all the time, but they don't start the chain reaction because it's not dense enough. It just enough. doesn't catch fire. Yeah, you need, to, you need to essentially to have these two pieces and have them be dense enough to squeeze them a little bit. And so what they, they actually, they don't call it a ball in a cup, they call it the gun assembly because they basically shoot one piece of uranium into another and that okay. creates this density wow. that you need to have the, the chain reaction. So that's a fission bomb, that's a splitting, that's the one that splits atoms. There's also one that fuses atoms. Yeah, and it's fascinating to me, it's a totally different process. Um, and that sticking atoms together can also release energy the same way splitting an atom can, right? That's mm. really counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, but, but the way it works is you take two pieces of hydrogen, so the lightest element there is, mm -hmm. and you stick them together and you get helium. And you don't just get helium, you get extra energy left over. So where did this energy come from? The energy comes from the, uh, the configuration of the helium atom versus the configuration of the hydrogen atom. Oh. What is helium? 
it's basically just two hydrogen atoms stuck together, right? Mm -hmm. And so you got those protons, you got those neutrons all mixed together. It takes more energy to break helium apart than it does to break hydrogen atom apart. And so when you put the helium together, that energy has to get released somewhere. Okay. It's like you've put two hydrogen atoms into a hole, right? And that you would need to use energy to take them out again. Mm. So when you put them in that hole, some energy is released. It's like you drop them in the hole and they turn a lever which generates some electricity or something. It's kind of like if you're single, uh, you have to pay a certain amount of taxes. But if you get married, then you have to pay maybe a little bit less of taxes, right? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But um, that kind of marital fusion doesn't usually cause um, weapons of mass destruction, though. Yeah, but it's you kind know. of the same idea. It's like separately, um, you have a, you make a certain amount of money, but together, because you're you, the configuration together, you have extra money left over. Yeah, and it all depends on the configuration of the atoms inside. Mm. And so it just so happens that helium takes more energy to break apart than hydrogen does. Um, and so when you hmm. build helium out of hydrogen, energy is released. Okay. And then you could take that energy and put it back in to break the helium apart and get your hydrogen back. Oh, right? I see. So it, it makes more sense if you think about it the other direction. Take helium, you need to put energy in to break it into hydrogen. Uh, I see. It's not right? like uranium, where if you break it, it releases energy. This time it costs you energy to break helium apart. That's right. Imagine, you know, for example, you have two magnets and they're stuck together, right? Uh -huh. Obviously, it takes energy to pull those two magnets apart, right? Oh. So that means that when you when the two magnets stick together, energy is released. Okay. And that's exactly what happens. So why is it that some atoms cost energy to break apart and others give you energy when you break them apart? It's all in the nitty-gritty details of how quantum chromodynamics work, this energy of the strong nuclear force. Oh. Various arrangements of protons and neutrons are different energies. It's really technical. But the okay. fascinating thing is that if you fuse atoms together, as long as they're light, anything lighter than iron, if you fuse them together, energy is released. Anything heavier than iron, if you split it apart, energy is released. Okay. So lighter than iron, you can fuse. Heavier than iron, you can split. So iron kind of sits in the middle. Iron. Iron. Yeah, iron. Ironically, Yeah, ironically, can't I can't pronounce iron. iron. <laughs> and that's why, for example, iron is the heaviest thing that's made in the sun, because the sun is just a big fusion bomb. Oh. And it's making heavier and heavier elements, but it stops at iron because after iron... It costs you energy to make anything bigger. But if you have something bigger and you break it, then that gives you the energy back. And that's, that's where the bomb comes from. Exactly, exactly. Oh. So a hydrogen bomb is like, you got to stick these two things together, right? But you know, hydrogen is positively charged. So how do you get two hydrogen atoms to stick together? It's not easy. You got to squeeze them really, really hard. That's why it costs energy. No, that's why it gives you energy. It's complicated because um, when they're really close together, the strong nuclear force takes over and the process we talked about, the releases energy takes over. When they're a little further apart, it's the positive charges that take over. So it's sort of like, have you ever been to um, putt-putt golf, right? And you have to get the ball into a hole, but the hole is at the top of a little hill. Mm -hmm. If you get it just right, boom, it'll stick in the hole and stay there. If you miss a little bit, the hill will push you away. So getting fusion to work is a little bit like that. You've got to squeeze the hydrogen atoms together. If you get them close enough, they will stick and they will release oh. energy. That's like the, the golf ball falling in the hole. If you don't get them close enough, they're just going to push each other apart. So the first atomic bombs that we made were hydrogen bombs, right? No, the first ones were fission bombs. They were uranium. Oh, I see. And yeah. then later we made hydrogen bombs. Yeah, and the only way we could make hydrogen bombs was by setting off an atomic bomb. Mm. 
Yeah, so you um, you need to surround a bunch of hydrogen with nuclear weapons, blow those up, right? So you've set off a fission bomb, which creates enough energy density to squeeze the hydrogen to cause it to fuse, which sets off the hydrogen bomb. Wow. So a hydrogen bomb is really a two-step process. It's first, let's do an old-fashioned atomic bomb, and that's like the ignition switch for the hydrogen bomb, right? Wow. Like yesterday's super weapon is today's ignition switch. It's crazy. <laughs> And so both of these types of bombs have are more explosive than, say, dynamite, just because there's more energy inside of the atom than in the reaction between atoms. That's right. All the other kinds of bombs, dynamite and, and you know gas bombs, whatever, those are just releasing the energy in chemical bonds, mm. uh, which is not a lot compared to the energy stored inside the atom. Wow. And that's because a strong nuclear force is a super-duper strong force. And it just happens that there's a huge amount of energy stored inside the atom. Okay, so it sounds sort of simple. So does that mean that anyone can make a nuclear bomb? It's tricky. You need to get the, the materials, right? Even for a hydrogen bomb, which just requires hydrogen, you need to create fusion, which means creating a fission explosion. Okay. So basically, the gatekeeper for creating nuclear weapons is getting the nuclear fuel. These days, we rely on the fact that uranium is hard to find. You have to mine it, and then you have to enrich it. And so basically, if you want to build a nuclear weapon, then you have to get enough uranium-235. After that, it's not too complicated. Wow. Well, let's get into it. But first, let's take a quick break. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities. But it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What prevents just anyone from building a, a bomb in their backyard? Not a whole lot if you can get your hands on the fuel. You know, if you have enough uranium-235 or plutonium Mm -hmm. or some other material which is good at at splitting, then Mm -hmm. you can build a nuclear bomb. It's not too complicated. There's schematics out there if you're really into engineering. Really? Um, But if you want a, yeah, um, that part is not secret. Um, It it used to be. I mean, in the 50s, this this level of information would get you thrown in jail or executed for treason. Yeah, probably broadcasting a podcast about how to make one would probably... (laughs) Get you arrested too. <laughs> Let's check with legal before we uh, distribute <laughs> this podcast anyway, um, because I'm not so into spending the rest of my life in jail. But it's really just the, the limitation is the fuel, which is why countries like Iran and North Korea and those folks are building centrifuges. Mm. Um, and the way to stop them is to try to stop them from getting the material. You know, one of my favorite stories about geopolitics is the way the Israelis sabotaged the Iranian centrifuges. How did they do it? They wrote a computer virus which specifically targeted the people working at that facility to get them like download it and click it and get it to control the centrifuges. It's pretty slick. And it got the centrifuges to spin wrong. Wow. So um, the difficulty in building a bomb is in getting the nuclear materials. Because, I mean, um, it's kind of a big effort not just to mine it, find out where it is, mine it, and then you have to process it, right? And so to do that, you need a lot of infrastructure and a lot of factory and money. And so at some point, people are going to notice that what you're doing, right? Yeah, it's hard to keep that kind of stuff secret. There's not that many people in the world who are good at it, at, uh, at filtering nuclear materials. Yeah. And that technology I read is actually what is kept secret a lot, right? Like the technology yes. actually enrich uranium and what to do it and how to handle it. That one is not like you can't just find that on the internet. That's right. And if somebody developed a new, cheap, fast, easy way to enrich uranium, we would all be in trouble oh. because that's really the gatekeeper to lots of people getting nuclear weapons because you don't need that much. I mean, you can get a suitcase size bomb that could blow up a major city if you had the nuclear materials. If you had the materials. It's pretty terrifying. It's hard to find it and process it. That's the hopefully the only thing that's keeping us from going up in a big ball of fire. That's right, exactly. And so, you know, you had to think about the scientists who are working on this kind of stuff and, you know, how do they feel about having developed this technology? You know, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the guy who led the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. he's famous for having felt both ways about this. When he saw the first nuclear bomb go off in New Mexico, you know, he said, Oops. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> Um, that's pretty serious stuff, right? Um, I've never created something so dangerous, but I would wonder about how I would sleep at night if I created a super weapon. I had to write an article once about uh, nuclear proliferation and what keeps countries from making these bombs and what's the world order that kind of prevents all this from happening. And what's kind of interesting is that you can take uranium and you start to enrich it. And if you reach a certain point, then that you can use that uranium for good. Like if it reaches about, I think it's something like, I'm going to say 5 to 7% uh, of the, the uranium-235 in it, then that's the stuff you can use for actually good purposes. You mean nuclear power, like generating yeah. electricity? Generating electricity or medical equipment. Um, but if you leave the machine on longer, if you keep enriching it, then you get to like 90%. And that's the stuff you can use for weapons. So it's a really tricky balance of like letting people use and make uranium for good stuff but then you have to watch out to see if they keep going and make it into the, the bomb type. 
So it's like that knob on your dryer where you're like, how dry do you want your clothes? <laughs> yeah. you want them good for society dry or evil, destructive dry? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I always choose maximum dry. You always, you always go for destructive. Yeah, but I like your anecdote because it tells uh, the story. You know that not only is nuclear power potentially the source of super weapons that will eradicate all life on Earth, but also it's a possible source of energy that we need. You know, yeah. and everybody's familiar with fission as a source of nuclear power. And, you know, a bomb is releasing energy rapidly, but a battery, as you say, is releasing energy slowly. Yeah. So you can also create a chain reaction that and control it in a way that doesn't run it's not a runaway reaction it very gradually releases energy yeah and so th that's what they do in in power plants and you know when you hear they have a meltdown that's because the uranium has gotten too hot and it's it's uh chain reaction has started and uh and that's not what you want you don't want to be uh, blowing up nuclear bombs inside your facility yeah and fusion also has tremendous possibilities for the future because fusion is much more powerful, huge amount of energy potentially released. The source of fuel is not this like weird metal you have to dig up in the ground, uranium. It's just hydrogen, which is everywhere. And the best thing is that there's no radioactive waste. Uh, fission as a nuclear power source, you get uranium. It turns into this other radioactive crap, which lasts for 10,000 years, et cetera. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Well, I think that the cool thing is that the same reaction that makes this bomb, right, like that's happening in the sun right now. Zillions of times. Yeah, it's just like this continual simmering giant nuclear bomb. It's going off constantly. Yeah, that's the whole reason we're here. Like, so it's, so this same idea, like this chain reaction, it doesn't have to be this kind of always explosive, you know, destructive thing. It, I mean, the sun is just like, it's just there burning, continually exploding. And so we could have that on Earth too, right? Like that's the idea behind fusion energy is that if we could create a mini sun, basically like a continual mini nuclear explosion, then think about all the energy we could get from that. That's right. And that was actually my first science job. My first science work ever was uh, in, in college. I went and did a internship at Los Alamos and worked on their fusion energy program because I thought this would be a good application of this kind of research. This would be mm. a way to help humanity. And uh, it's true. And it's very promising. And as I was saying before, there's no radioactive fallout or, or, or waste. It just produces helium. The yeah. problem is that it's hard to do. You know, they're working on it. We could do a whole other podcast about how to build a little sun on Earth and, and keep it from turning into a bomb and burning everybody. Well, that'd be cool. So if they make it work, it, it'll not just give energy for everybody, but everybody will get a, a helium balloon. <laughs> That's right. We'll all talk kind of like this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There'd be lots of side benefits. No, seriously, if fusion becomes feasible and accessible, then we're talking about basically free energy because the cost yeah. will just drop very, very quickly. And uh, and that would change society, right? Yeah. If energy is free, then almost everything is possible. If energy is free, you can make as much drinking water as you like, right? If energy is free, you can build whatever homes you like. You can make concrete. Yeah. You can do all sorts of things. So many problems would be solved if you could get cheap energy. And fusion is the way to do it. It's just really technically tricky. Well, I think the takeaway is that uh, inside of each and every atom, there's just an enormous amount of energy. And so that can be either very destructive or very promising to make an incredible future. That's right, yeah. And so there are both positive and negative potential energies for all the scientific research. Well, I hope that blew your mind. <laughs> it fused some ideas in your head together. <laughs> it, it split your view of the world. <laughs> and um, jokes aside, please do not try to build a nuclear weapon in your garage. It yeah. will not end well. And if you listen to this podcast, be very careful about what you Google afterwards. <laughs> the NSA is always listening. They're listening, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge. That's one word. Or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits... LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.